This morning we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of John. Let's pray once again and ask for God's blessing on the priest word. Father, we thank you for giving us your holy, inspired, all-sufficient, life-giving word. Father, we pray now that you would send your spirit to help us um, understand and apply uh, the amazing truths of this passage. We need your help, Lord, more than we even know or can imagine. So help us by sending us your spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What proves that someone loves Jesus? Is wearing a large cross necklace proof of love for Jesus? Is placing a bumper sticker on the back of your car that says, Jesus is my co-pilot, proof of love for Jesus? I doubt it. Is attending a Bible college or seminary proof of love for Jesus? Is carrying around a massive ESV calfskin study Bible proof of love for Jesus? Is being well-versed in the theology of the Reformers and the 17th century Puritans proof of love for Jesus? No. So what is the proof that someone loves Jesus? Jesus tells us four times in this passage exactly what the proof is of love for Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Proof of love for Jesus is obedience to his commands, which means that when we disobey his commands, in that moment, we don't love Jesus. Now, I know most of us here love Jesus, and we want to grow in our love for Jesus, but loving Jesus and obeying his commands is often very, very challenging, isn't it? Or is it just me? But take heart, there's incredibly good news in this passage. God has given us everything that we need to obey his commands, proving that we love him. What has he given us? He's given us the Spirit, he's given us the Son, and he's given us the Scriptures. More specifically, the Spirit empowers obedience, the Son empowers obedience, and the Scriptures guide our obedience. Those are the three points this morning. First is simply this, uh, the Spirit empowers obedience our obedience. How? By helping us. Look with me at John 14, 15 to 17. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. What does that phrase, another helper, mean exactly? Well, the word another specifically in the Greek means another of the same kind. That is someone just like Jesus, i.e. the Holy Spirit, who is of the same substance or essence with God the Father and with God the Son. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he is a uh, bona fide member of the Trinity, equal in power and glory and dignity and worth with the Father and the Son. And the Holy Spirit 
is the other helper who will come and live inside of us when Jesus departs the disciples. But what does the word helper mean? The Greek word translated helper was used in legal language for an advocate for the defense, and more generally, for one who works hard at helping others. Jesus helped the disciples, and when Jesus leaves, after his ascension, the Holy Spirit will come and help them to obey his commands. Verse 17, actually back to verse 16. Um, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That last phrase is amazing. The Spirit of God, who created all things out of nothing, lives inside of you. Yes, you, if you're a Christian. Wow. Amazing. Do you and I really believe that? And he lives inside of us to help us. Help us do what? Help us to obey Christ's commands. Now, a few mornings a week, I go to North Park Athletic Club to lift weights uh, and to play tennis. When lifting weights, it's really helpful to have someone spotting you. If not, you can be in danger of injuring yourself. It's the spotter's job to ensure that when the person lifting weights gets really, really tired, he or she can reach down and help them lift that final or complete that final rep without hurting themselves. Especially, this is especially helpful when one is doing the bench press. When you bench press, you lie on your back and you're lifting lots of weight over your chest. And usually, people try to stay within the seven to 12 rep range. And when someone is repping a lot of weight over their chest, um, usually by rep eight, nine, 10, they start to slow down a little bit and it gets more and more dangerous. And often people are lifting large amounts of weights, 150 pounds, 200 pounds, 300 pounds. If that weight comes crashing down on your chest, it's gonna cause all kinds of painful damage. So it's the spotter's job to stand above the person benching and to encourage them, saying things like, you're almost there, just one more, I'll help you, don't worry, keep pushing, I'm here, I'll help, keep going, keep at it. At the last second when the person finally gives out and the weight begins to come back down, the spotter reaches down and helps by pulling that weight up, putting it back on the rack. Sometimes at the last minute, the lifter will say in a panicked voice, help, help, help. I know someone who was recently benching by himself. Not a great idea. He did not have a spotter. He was lifting too much weight, 150 pounds, and by rep 8, 9, 10, and 11, he was in deep trouble. And the weight was coming down quickly on his chest, and it rested there, and there was no one to help him. So he looked around in a panic, saw a stranger and said, help, 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 and the stranger ran over and helped him by pulling the weight off of his chest. That's often how you and I rely on the Spirit. (laughs) At the very last minute, when we're desperate, when we're in deep, deep trouble, when the weight's about to crush our chest, then we finally cry out to the Holy Spirit, please help. And he will, because he lives inside of you. 
But how much better for you and I to recognize that he's there to help us all the time. The text says he'll be with us forever, forever. All you have to do in your hour or moment or second of need is cry out to the Holy Spirit and he will help you. He's like a permanent, eternal, all-powerful spotter who is there to help you obey God's commands. John 14, 15, and 16, again, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The Holy Spirit is ready and willing and more than able to help you all the time. Obey Christ's commands. Which raises the question, where do you and I need the Holy Spirit's help this week? Maybe you need help to forgive. Maybe you need help this week to flee sexual sin. Maybe you need help this week to exercise costly sacrificial love. Maybe it's help this week to not be anxious. Maybe it's help to get up early in the morning and read your Bible and pray. Maybe it's help to humble yourself. Maybe you need help with self-control. Maybe you need help to be content with your current circumstances. God has given you a divine helper who is always with you. He dwells inside of you, and he is eager to help. But you have to humble yourself and ask for help through prayer. Don't wait until the last minute. Ask for help in the moment Another way the Holy Spirit helps us is by giving us illumination as we read the scriptures. As we see more and more the glory of Christ in the scriptures, we become more like Christ. And the Holy Spirit helps us to see that. More on that in a moment. Speaking of the Son, the Son also uh, empowers us for obedience, which brings us to the second point. So first, the Spirit empowers obedience, but there's more. Second, the Son also empowers obedience. Well, how does the Son empower our obedience? By reminding us of his constant presence. Look with me at John 14, 18 to 20. Jesus says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, there is so much to unpack in these verses. But let me highlight verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Which raises the question, when is he going to come to them? Is Jesus talking here about coming to them physically in his body after the resurrection, before the ascension? Possibly. Or is Jesus talking here um, about coming to them and dwelling inside of them after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out? That's also a possibility. Remember, in Matthew 18, 20, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then according to, to uh, John, 1 John four thirteen, Christ abides in us, through his spirit. How is Christ always with us? 
the end of the age, through the Spirit, 1 John 4, 13. By this we know that we abide in him, that is in Jesus, and he in us, Christ in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. So scholars are divided. Is Christ talking here about being with the disciples after the the resurrection, before the ascension, or is he talking about being with the disciples through the Spirit? And the answer is yes, probably both those. The point here is simply this. Jesus is always with us by the power of the Holy Spirit, helping us to obey Christ's commands. Christ is always present with us. Always, always. Some folks work really, really hard to be in the presence of really famous people. According to one article, there's a 16-year-old girl living in the L.A. area who is famous amongst famous people. She's met everyone, everyone, from Miley to Oprah to Skrillex, And it was on a first-name basis with teen heartthrobs like Justin Bieber and the guys from One Direction. This is a little bit dated. She's not an actress. She's not in the industry, nor is she the daughter of a celebrity. She is just a regular girl named Sarah who has somehow managed to amass an enormous collection of photos, over 4,600, in which she is posing cheek-to-cheek with Hollywood stars. She has earned the nickname Stalker Sarah on the Internet. How does Stalker Sarah manage to be in the presence of all of these famous people? Well, the answer is she works really, really hard at it. It involves late nights, travel, and meticulous research to figure out where and when these stars are going to be. All this to be in the presence of other human beings that no one's going to remember in 50 years. Yet you and I, without any work at all, can be in the presence of Jesus Christ. How? Through faith alone. By grace alone, through faith alone. When you and I put our hope and confidence in Jesus Christ, all of our sins are forgiven, and we are enabled to be in his holy, righteous presence. He dwells inside of us through the Spirit. Imagine learning that Jesus is in Jerusalem right now, literally, bodily, physically, a second incarnation. If that were the case, every single airline to the Middle East would be booked. Every boat, train, and bus in Europe and the Middle East heading towards Jerusalem would be packed. Even if you managed to arrive in Jerusalem, there'd be crowds of millions of people pressing in to get near Jesus. You would have no chance at being close to him physically, bodily. It would be nearly impossible to get within 100 feet of Jesus. Yet, Christ is present right now, right now with you. He dwells inside of you. His presence is manifest inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And if that's true, this means that Christ is present with us in the hard times and the good times. 
He's present when you and I are lonely. He's present when we're scared. He's present when we're tempted. He's present when you and I are mourning the loss of a loved one, a child, a broken relationship. He's present in the midst of intense, excruciating, chronic pain. He's present when we're depressed and discouraged, and he's present when we think that no one else is watching, which is motivation for obedience to his commands. He's always present with us. And he's present when you and I need someone to talk to, to lean on, to rely on. One author says this, one of the most devastating thoughts anyone can entertain when he's going through trouble is, I am alone. After that comes self-pity, then the thought that no one cares. These are common feelings, but unnecessary for the believer. Even when we do not feel Christ's presence, he is within us. How does the Son empower obedience? By reminding us of his constant presence. How else does the Son empower obedience? By motivating us with the hope of more revelation. What do I mean? Look with me at John 14, 21 to 25. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and I will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Again, there is so much packed into these verses But let me focus on verse 21, which is a good summary of these five verses. Again, Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Here's the logic of this difficult verse. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, it proves that you love me. If you love me, it proves that you're a Christian, which means that you are a child of God, which means that God the Father loves you as much as I love you. Now, to be very clear, the rest of the New Testament makes it crystal clear that you and I are not justified or forgiven or saved because of our obedience. Aren't you glad We are justified, declared righteous, forgiven by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nonetheless, if that faith is real faith, it will manifest itself in obedience to Christ's commands. If we don't obey Christ's commands, it proves that our faith is spurious faith. It is fake faith. It is not saving faith. 
Christ is saying, if you keep my commands, it proves that you love me. And if you love me, then my Father loves you because you're my brother and God is your Father. Let me read the verse again. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Notice what he says. He says, the more we obey Christ's commands, proving that we love him, the more he will manifest himself to us. And my friends, this is the thing that you and I need more than anything else in life. What we need more than anything is to see more and more of the glory of Jesus Christ. Because when we see the glory of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become more and more like Jesus, growing more and more in joy and more and more in fellowship with God. I love how the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18. He says this, now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, the glory of Jesus, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we obey more and more and more of Christ's commands, the Spirit of God reveals more and more and more of the glory of Christ to us, and we become more and more and more like Jesus. We don't need more money. We don't need more success. We don't need more things. We don't need better bodies. What we need more than anything else in life is to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when you see that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, everything, and I mean everything, in your life will change. You'll want to be more like Jesus. You'll find great joy in being more like Jesus because you'll see his glory And Christ is saying here, the more we obey his commands, the more he reveals his glory to us. Again, verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I love what Jim Boyce says about this. Many Christians would be willing to do spectacular things if by that means they could come to know Christ better. But they are unwilling to do the commonplace things that are involved in simple obedience. Will you do them? If you will, you will most certainly grow in God's grace. If you obey, Christ will increasingly unveil his heart to you. Does God seem distant to you this morning? Do you feel like your soul is dry spiritually? Do you have little desire to be with God's people, to read the Bible, to pray? Maybe, just maybe, it's because there's an area of unconfessed sin in your life. Jesus says, 
When we obey his commands, he reveals himself to us. For not obeying his commands, the implication is he's not going to reveal himself as much to us. Now, God is gracious, and God often breaks through our stubbornness and our sin. Aren't you glad? And he reveals himself to us despite our brokenness, despite our rebellion. Nonetheless, Jesus says here, as we obey his commands, he reveals more and more of himself to us. Love for God leads to obedience to God. Obedience to God leads to more revelation of Christ's glory, which leads to increased joy. We don't obey to get stuff from God. We obey because we love God. But when we obey, Christ says he'll reveal more of himself to us. Well, Dave, I know we're supposed to obey, but what exactly do we obey? That leads us to the third and final point. First, the Spirit empowers obedience. Second, the Son empowers obedience. And third, the Scriptures guide obedience. The Scriptures guide obedience. Look with me at verses 25 to 26. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, have you ever wondered how the disciples were able to write down everything that Jesus said to them? Have you ever wondered that? It's because Jesus promised to send them the Holy Spirit to help them remember all the things that he said to them. So when the, when the disciples were writing down the scripture, they were given supernatural, spirit-empowered ability to remember all the things that Christ had done and said to them, which is one of the reasons we believe in verbal plenary inspiration, verbal. Every word is inspired, plenary, every part is inspired. We can have tremendous confidence that the Bible that we have contains the very words of Jesus. How? Because Jesus promised to give the disciples the Holy Spirit to remember all the things that he said to them. Therefore, we can have confidence that the, the Bibles that we hold are the very words of God. A similar promise is made to the disciples in John 16, 13 to 15. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. Christ simply says this, those who love him will obey his commands. Where are his commands found? In the Bible. How can we be confident that these commands are the commands of Christ? Because Christ gave the Holy Spirit to the disciples to help them remember all the things that he said to them. He gave them supernatural ability to recount his words. This means the Bible contains the very words of God. What a treasure. We often become complacent about the Bible as evangelicals, forgetting that what we hold in our hands, this book is the very words of God to us. And it contains everything we need to know to live lives of purpose and joy and peace and faithfulness to God's commands. This book is worth more than all the money in the world. 
Are you neglecting it? Charles Spurgeon famously said to his congregation, there's enough dust on many of your Bibles to spell the word damnation. (laughs) Which is very clever. Now, I, I know, if you're like me, Bible reading can often be a chore, it can be challenging, it can be hard. But God has given us his spirit to help us, to motivate us, to give us self-discipline, and to help us understand the Bible. Who wrote the Bible? God. God the Spirit inspired the Bible. If you have questions about the Bible, before turning to a commentary, why don't you ask the author what it means? (laughs) Go to him. Spirit of God, what in the world does this mean in Romans 9? What does this mean? Help me understand. He will help you understand. Because he wrote it. The Bible contains the very words of God, words of life, words of joy, words of peace. The more you know about God through his word, the more capacity you have to enjoy your relationship with God. So ask God for grace and strength. Say, God, help me be disciplined in reading the Bible. If you don't want to read it, say, God, change my heart. Give me a heart. Give me a desire to read the Bible. Even say, God, I confess, I don't want to read the Bible this morning. I, I, I don't want to. I'm, I'm bored of the Bible. But I want to want to read the Bible. So change my heart. Change my heart. And he will, because that's his will for you, to love the word of God, to read the word of God, to apply the word of God. Here's the good news. God doesn't let us in the dark. He tells us exactly what he expects of us in the pages of Scripture. When we obey his commands in the scriptures, he reveals more and more of himself to us. Take heart this morning. The Spirit empowers obedience. The Son empowers obedience, and the scriptures guide obedience. God has given you everything you need and more to obey his commands. If I were to say to you, LeBron James is the greatest basketball player in the world. You'd probably say to me, Dave, prove it. Or if I were to say to you, De Leon's is the best Mexican restaurant in Spokane, you'd probably say to me, Dave, prove it. Or if I were to say to you, Toyotas are the most reliable car on the road, you'd probably say to me, Dave, prove it. When we make audacious claims, people often and rightfully ask for proof. If you say to me, Dave, I love Jesus, Christ will say, prove it. How do we prove it? By obeying his commands. Let's pray.